After all this, you still... I still want that gas, yes. And you had better deliver. Hey, is the is, is greenhouse gaslighting? If I'm not saying something pretentious every episode, what are you here for? Well, come on, come on. Fair enough. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, like I think that you got to understand like all these these parties as competing interests at different state electoral structures that actually does paint the dynamics of those fights directly so coming coming to our next um hall of shamer let, let's get into this fellow californian californian and by the is he is he seriously yeah yeah that's, that it, it, I, uh, ironic that's, right like <laughs> i think i because i always get with john cornyn that's the problem but yeah he's oh. from he's from but he's from bakersfield yeah exactly fellow californian um, and this is also like a historical oddity. Like this has not happened before, but he was yeah. ousted from the speakership. Yeah. So um, the the way the sequence of events with this are just baffling, right? So um, for like to kind of start this, I mean, obviously when he got into the speakership, right, it took him fifteen votes to get in really long time right that has there's i think there was there were speakers who took longer um they were at points where there was um more fictitious uh more uh factitious divides in the country around the civil war and whatnot um but so he took him a while to get in um part of his deals to get in was allowing for whatever reason, the single-member motion to vacate, which was used against him by Matt Gates, following the fact that McCarthy put forward that uh, continuing resolution to the floor um, to continue funding the government for, uh, I think, us up through, um, I think, 45 days, so it's going to take us into, like, mid-November. And uh, Gates almost immediately files this motion to vacate. Normally, this requires action within two legislative days. And legislative days are not necessarily calendar days, right? Congress was supposed to be in recess, which would mean that there was no legislative days this week through uh, next week. So in theory, he had until, um, let's say roughly, I don't, I don't remember the, the way the calendar looked exactly, but like roughly like the 17th of October. Instead, he chooses to hold this vote the next day. Um, the, his tactic, it seemed to be his reason to rush it was he planned on tabling it, which would, you know, prevent it from being used. Uh, this vote failed and he ultimately gets voted out. The first speaker in history to ever be voted out, uh, 216 to 210, all, all Democrats who were present voted yes. Um, Pelosi mm -hmm. and a few others were not there. Um, Pelosi was at Feinstein's funeral service. Um, I think Piltola, um, from Alaska, her husband had just died in a plane crash. Oh, man. Uh, so was probably dealing with that. Um, the Republicans who voted, uh, obviously Matt Gates, of course, voted yes. Uh, you also have Andy Biggs of Arizona, Ken Buck of Colorado, Tim Burchett of Tennessee, Eli Crane of Arizona, Bob Good of Virginia, uh, Matt Rosendale of Montana, and Nancy Mace of South Carolina, who kind of stands out because she's sort of nominally the more moderate member in that group. Uh, all yeah, the others, like, if you look, if you look at their um, nominate scores, which is another, you know, sort of metric that we use on uh, political science to measure ideology, they, most of them are, like, clustered in, like, this sort of, like, libertarian right corner um, on the chart, where she's more, like, centrist on that issue and then more moderate on, uh, just kind of more in the middle of the chart, period. I, I, she had explicitly said that she voted because she had these like m more moderate priorities, like you know, ensuring access to birth controls. She's kind of been making a lot of uh, media appearances, sort of talking about like ways that the Republican Party needs to like sort of moderate to win back suburban voters. Um, and she kind of felt, ironically, in this case, right, because she's siding with you know the members who are <laughs> in direct opposition to a lot of those priorities. Um, that McCarthy had like lied to her uh, enough times and had like you know screwed her enough that she felt uh, obligated to vote against him. Um, and you know Matt Gates during his floor speech right said that like you know the 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 only commonality that like him 
uh, like members of the, their caucus, uh, Democrats and the president had was that McCarthy has lied to them uh, probably repeatedly over multiple instances. And I think that's really kind of the the reason why he was ousted. Right. The fact that Democrats were completely united in um, voting him out is actually rather you know surprising in a lot of ways. Right. The caucus. um agreed to this but you'd think it wouldn't have been that hard to win over a few of the you know frankly pretty conservative members of the democratic caucus um and the reason i think is is like you know going back to that continuing resolution immediately after it passed um you know they were he was on the news and he's like well i didn't think it would pass because i thought democrats would would want to shut the government down he blamed them despite the fact that Democrats were the majority behind his continuing resolution to keep the government funded, right? Members of his own party have been very public in seeing the shutdown as a negotiation tool, or in some cases, just right. the the ends, right? Like, where it's just like, yeah, like, that seems good. Like, just shut the government down. Uh, it can't do anything in that case, right? So, no woke agenda. Um, so, uh, you know, he had you know he's and you know even in the negotiation for this right it was just very obvious like very clear i won't give democrats anything to vote for me um but then afterwards is very angry that none of them voted for him and that they screwed him that he thought they would care more about the institution but frankly i mean you know i i think he's very clearly made the case you know obviously with his you know trump support and other things like that that he couldn't be trusted right the the notion that some people have that like oh well he was like this steady hand it's like this is like a steady hand that has like cataracts uh at best like this is someone who's <laughs> who's useless in his in his role i think he's probably gonna be remembered as you know one of if not the worst speakers of all time i mean i think the only the only argument like for other people right or some people who passed you know probably some like vile like you know pro-slavery legislation in the 1800s or something like that but i think just as a leader the mccarthy is someone who is completely feckless completely useless um at almost every juncture um we even said as much when he got the speakership right like he just seems like he's just like a wet towel you know yeah and i and i think you know it was like i, I the only reason i thought like maybe his speakership would survive this is because no one else really would want the job and like we've got a few candidates who've like reluctantly thrown their towel in, uh, Jim Jordan, uh, who would only Dear be God. the second, who would he would only be the second speaker who's a former coach with uh, who has covered up sexual misconduct. So yeah, you know, representation, right? Uh, <laughs> for who? For who? Dennis Astert? What? Yeah. God. Um, Steve Scalise, uh, who is you know McCarthy's number two. Uh, who I, I, you know, I guess, you know, would make sense, but uh, you know, he's descri- self-described himself as David Duke without the, uh, the baggage, um, which is like, could you imagine like, if like Bernie Sanders was like, when he ran for president is like, I'm, I'm Joseph Stalin without the baggage. That's pretty Let's, tight. That's pretty tight. I, I, I will hold you. That just makes me want to vote for him. But, but like, I mean, if they said that, like, could you, like, dude, he would be, the, he would be assassinated like on the spot. The minute that like those words left his mouth, but of course, you know, it's, yeah, it's like David, be, you know? if someone said David Duke without the baggage, like it shouldn't that be immediate grounds for disqualification in a you would civilized, think. you know, like country? Yeah, that, I just, not. just insane. Um, uh, the, some people have floated Trump's name. Trump has endorsed Jim Jordan. Uh, but that's not to say that like I, I if if members, I, I think if anyone forces a vote for like a Trump speaker, I think that's probably officially the end of their party. Um, like I think that like this 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 has done so much damage to like public perception of them, right? Like you have, right. I mean, you have people who are like you know diehard Republicans, some like some former Bush folks and whatnot who are like, we are a better party in the minority. We are ungovernable. Like just self admitting that like they can't like do their ba- like just do the basic job of governing, um, and I think that 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 says a lot. And, right. you know, we've seen this meltdown. I mean, like, there's been a little bit of a mix on, like, Fox News, but, like, most of them are against this. Um, it's it's generally seen as a sign of weakness and just, you know, chaos. 
that this has been allowed to happen. Um, the uh, interim speaker who is currently, I don't think he's running for the position, um, but he was a former like McCarthy goon, more or less. Um, Patrick is, McHenry. Yeah, Patrick McHenry. Um, so, and I, I, one of my colleagues and I were like looking into this. Apparently the rules indicate that he could, in theory, just serve as speaker for the rest of this Congress. Um, like he doesn't actually have to hold another speaker vote. I'm sure he will, because I think like the politics of not doing it would be problematic. Right. Um, but in theory, he could just proceed as normal. <laughs> Something in 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 some of the, like in how this has played out is really making me think, right? Mm-hmm. So Matt Gates kind of had to have like his teeth pulled to enable the McCarthy speaker vote, and I kind of yeah. feel like this was him getting even with McCarthy. It felt well. It's funny because at the end of it, he like he claimed that he had gotten enough concessions from him that he ran out of things he could even dream of asking for. Huh. So, like, you know, this is someone who you completely caved into, and it still wasn't good enough. That's crazy. And then just another thought, too, is, like, McCarthy was, like, I think he was in, like, a little group with, like, Paul Ryan, Eric Cantor. Yes, there's a book called The Young Guns, which is, uh, oh, oh, God, what is the uh, tagline on it? Um, a new generation of conservative leaders. Um, obviously, Cantor was ousted in a primary. Uh, Paul Ryan was a former speaker uh, himself. And, uh, dude, the, the Young Guns also has a Twitter page. It hasn't been updated since 2011. That's hilarious. God. Yeah, it's like they were their own, like, variety of, of, conservative right especially like paul ryan with like the anti and anti social safety net yeah uh, politics but without like the the real tea party right now. right and i think that's um what i think that book fundamentally got wrong uh not that i've read it um but i, I know the general summary of it I think what it generally got wrong was that it, it identified these three members as like they're like serious conservatives, right? They were sort of maybe like the Republican. Well, they, they wrote it themselves. So yes. this is, the, yeah, that's the even worse part. <laughs> yeah, that is even the worst part. Well, it's funny too because it, it highlights um, eight other members. None of them are around anymore. Oh, man. And Kevin McCarthy, according, uh, I've seen recent reports that indicated that he's thinking about resigning, that he'll probably resign uh, after the speaker vote. Um, which is funny because he's like, oh, that'll help consolidate things. But at the same time, he also, um, like, he complained so much about his narrow majority, and he's going to make it even narrower by resigning <laughs> from office. <laughs> so it's like he's essentially screwing over whoever gets the position, um, even if it's you know someone who's like nominally his ally. Uh, because the House members, you don't get to appoint a replacement. Even if you did, right, then that would be an appointment that Newsom would handle, um, which would, you know, damage yeah. them. Um, oh, I also did see the QAnon shaman uh, forwarded himself as a candidate um, for speaker. Which, ah, to be, fa- so to be fair, he has more experience behind the speaker's podium than any of those other candidates. So Fair. Fair. Oh, my God. <laughs> Even if it was, you know, uh, a transient uh, post at best. Um, uh, some other fun details about this. This is uh, McCarthy. Is, he's actually the third shortest serving speaker. Uh, one person died a few days before that, uh, before they reached his tenure. And then we have the shortest serving speaker, which I think makes this even more embarrassing, which is uh, Theodore M. Pomeroy, who was appointed for one day as sort of like this, like, commemoration of his tenure in Congress, because it was his last day in Congress. So he, he just, he just got sworn in for fun. That's basically yeah, it. yeah. He was served, served one day in uh, March third through uh, of eighteen sixty nine, and that was just for fun. Like that wasn't yeah, even like, so, anything embarrassing. God, yeah, yeah. He was just they just appointed him in. He re- he was reti- he was leaving Congress. He was there for a day and then left. Uh, and the other guy uh, died um, as I think 253 days in McCarthy 
speakership lasts to 270. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, um, and, and it's, it's, it's really interesting. Cause like, this is, um, our, our, like, you know, the, the whole reason McCarthy pursued that continuing resolution that ultimately ended his speakership, right. Was to spare his party, like the embarrassment of shutting the government down. Mm-hmm. Uh, because his job ostensibly is right to make sure that they are elected to the majority, right? It's not like it's not anything else. Like, I mean, it, yeah, it's kind of to pass like policies that they like, but you know, that's limited by the fact that there's divided government. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, th- th- this is arguably it, he's he arguably set up a situation where his party was humiliated even worse. Um, and we'll see kind of when the next shutdown battle happens, like, you know, what, how is that going to play out? Um, and like, is that going to institute another motion to vacate the speakership, uh, if they have to cave in as well? Um, so they've like, I, I think they've demonstrated just how much that party is like just driven by the hardliners where it's not even like, you know, rhetorical anymore. This is like incredibly obvious that that's the case. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think you did mention in the outline that this brought back force the vote discourse. We might yes. Let's get into uh, some of that. Before we do, can I just also want to bring up that like the new speaker who hit that hammer way too fucking hard. That clip of him hitting the hammer was ridiculous. Yeah, also, when, he, uh, when he brought him into recess. Yeah. He looked so, like he hurt himself. Uh, yeah, I don't. He he looks like a very just. Uh, again, he's from North Carolina. He looks like a very you know. <laughs> this this flower is quite parched. Fetch me my fried green tomatoes. If you asked an AI to like create a, a theoretical member of the Republican Party in Congress, this is probably what it would spit out. Uh, he again, he's he's wearing bow ties in our <laughs> our Lord's year twenty twenty three. What's going on, y'all? It's but true. basically, um, the one thing that I found funny about him is that uh, he was a Karl Rove lackey uh, and was <laughs> like involved with Bush's 2000 presidential campaign. Sure. And then was also a special assistant to Elaine Chow, who was Mitch McConnell's wife. Yeah. So he's he's been like a, just a, a very, very behind the scenes Republican like goblin. Uh, and he's just been, you know, he was just patiently waiting for this. And then he finally, you know, he got the job under what seemed to be stressful circumstances. But that's, you know. Uh, well, as I said, I mean, I don't I question how much he really has the job per se. I mean, I did say right. he can do whatever he wants in theory, but uh, it's very clear that they're going to go forward with a speaker vote of some sort. Um, there is a chance I, I, I wouldn't, you know it's slight right but like there could be a chance where you get like some republicans who vote for you know some democratic candidate whoever they forward is like their speaker candidate right just because they see it as more tenable than having a uh you know a lunatic right winger right like and and jim jordan comes across like he's probably that type i know he tries to cast himself like he isn't and no, i don't know why I, I, see, I see malice in that man's eyes he looks scary <laughs> yeah like i i don't I, I don't really get where there's like this weird emphasis that like oh like this guy is actually not like that bad um because it's like yeah he seems pretty bad i mean there's he's he was a key member of like you know the january 6th conspiracy um i mean there's a reason they didn't allow him on the committee um you know, for the uh, January 6th uh, oversight committee and whatnot, like that was conceded, that was seen as like particularly problematic. Um, I don't necessarily know that he'll be like sort of that like compromise candidate anyways, because I think, yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see like just how much this boils over with um, just a lot of, you know, what's going on in Congress with that party. Yeah. It's, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think they've pay- definitely paid off well, let me rephrase that. You know, Mitch McConnell is often, you know, credited with the strategy of we can basically fuck around in the legislative as long as we need to, as long as we pack the courts with our people, you know. Um, but we're starting to see that, like, uh, you can only fuck around in the legislative for so long. Now, whether Democrats take advantage of this like opportunity, you know, that remains to be seen. But I think we're starting to see 
I guess maybe not necessarily the obsolescence, but like just you know the the, the McConnell strategy is is aging very poorly, like him. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, I don't want to bring up this discourse again because it was it was very shitty when it happened. What was it? Two years ago, I want to say. But yeah, it was. Uh, Force of vote was twenty twenty, um, right after Biden was elected. So right, right. the idea um, that was brought primarily, and I I just saw um, like Jimmy Dore, Brianna Joybridge taking this victory Fuck lap hell. over over this. Um, you know, the speaker ousted, right? They're saying, like, this demonstrates the legitimacy of our strategy, that Democrats could have done this and it would have been good. Uh, bear in mind everything we just said, right, about this being embarrassing for the party and destructive. Well, and um, also, like, it just leaves you there with, like, a, okay, so what happens next? And then, like, exactly. In- so, and keep in mind, so their strategy was actually not what just happened. Contrary to what they're saying now. Exactly, exactly. It was to withhold votes from Nancy Pelosi when they were voting for Speaker until she conceded that they will bring Medicare for All for a vote to the floor. Um, they claim that we've squandered a once-in-a-generation opportunity by not doing this. Um, I think there's plenty of opportunities for Medicare for All to fail on the floor, and the least taken, the better, um, frankly. Because that's the thing that would happen, right? And then, then you know, sort of they moved the goalpost, right? You know, it was to get Medicare for all passed. Then it was just, well, it probably won't pass. We'll concede that. But at least this will tell us who doesn't support it. So then we can primary them or whatever. But you already know who didn't support it. Like let's Exactly, be- right? But it, their, their belief was that it would expose maybe people who had lied, right? But, like... The thing is, there's no, there's not a great risk to if you're if you're insincere in your beliefs, there's not a great risk taking votes that you know aren't going to pass, and voting for them, right? Like exactly. if you hated something, but you're like, well, my party likes this, but it has no shot at passing, might as well vote for it, right? There's no real risk. Um, like there's risk that maybe it's used against you by like your political opponents, right? But like if you're concerned about getting your party's base, that you know the reward outweighs the risk. Um, but yeah, and it's kind of weird where they're, they, I, I really don't understand like where they're coming from with this where it's like, this, this shows, and I've seen now people are like, well, it's the value in it is that this demonstrates power. It shows that Matt Gates is powerful and he's using it. No, it doesn't. It just shows he's relitigating a beef from like a few months ago. That's really it's, it, it shows started. that he's relitigating. I mean, even McCarthy admitted this. He's relitigating, he's relitigating a beef that's largely personal. Yeah. Right. I don't think he he cares one way or the other about like whatever. Like McCarthy could have like, you know, instituted um a, a law that like celebrated you know Matt Gates Day, and I think he still would have like you know screwed him at the first sight just because he doesn't like him and because it's part of his brand. Um. But I think you know part of the other problem w- with it is like this is a one shot thing, right? This is, I think, the extent to Matt Gates's power. And part of it was, one, it's a lot easier to remove, especially because of the rule changes. It's a lot easier to remove a speaker than it is to appoint one, right? It took one day to get rid of him. It took 15 votes to get and one vote to get rid of him, 15 votes to actually get Speaker McCarthy, right? Mm-hmm. Huge difference um, in what's, what's actually being attempted there, right? Because you only need the majority of the chamber, which you had the majority of the chamber because... You know, the majority of the chamber was what, what what took him so long to get appointed in the first place. But the other problem, too, is like his career as like a lawmaker is over. Um, you know, Newt Gingrich um, on like the outside and a lot of people in there are talking about like expelling Matt Gates from Congress for this. Um, other people, right, are talking about like all these like sexual misconduct allegations that right. they previously defended and wrote off, right? Now they're like, well, actually, yeah, like I think this guy was actually like, you know, running around spooning every 14 year old he could get his hands on, um, you know, while, while pumping Viagra or whatever, you know, ED medication he needs to keep going. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of Republican politicians who have like their share of like now trickling out horror stories about Matt Gaetz. So, yeah. Yeah. And like he, like, you know, in terms of like having like a brand as like someone who's like willing to like you know just toss a grenade and see what happens, yeah, you know, sure, maybe that's a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a victory for him. But like overall, 
not like, you know, I, I don't see how you could write this off and be like, oh, yes, yeah, so this demonstrates the legitimacy of our strategy. Um, it, I, to me, it demonstrates that all of those forced to vote people and we kind of already knew this. They're all grifters. They don't believe right. in anything principally. I mean, they just they, they're getting Peter Thiel's money. Let's start there. You know, oh, yeah, I mean? I mean, there's there's that. But like, I mean, especially like, you know, like if you're like legitimately interested in policy outcomes. I don't see how you can look at this and be like, aha, here we go. This is what the squad should be doing. This is why Matt Gates is outflanking the squad on the left or whatever. <laughs> it's 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 such a cynical and like uh just just empty headed but also just like vicious like a grift right and like i'll admit to like buying into the force the vote stuff when it was happening for like two i think minutes. i think when it started it was a little bit at least a you know maybe it didn't totally make all the sense in the world but i think it had more validity when it started, right? When it seemed like, okay, well, like, this is an objective you can get behind. It's it's not hard to understand why you and others would buy it. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is, like, if you fought... I'll, I'll admit to this, because, like, I, I, I believe in being transparent about this, and I'm glad that I was corrected, and I, you know, found, like, got out of this bullshit very quickly, mm -hmm. right? But... There was a time I used to listen to Bad Faith. There was a time where, like, Brianna Joy Gray was very effective at being like, no, we're going to get very high-profile interviews. We're going to have groundbreaking discussions on what do we do post-Biden. And for someone who was kind of disappointed after the Biden election, who's kind of disappointed after Bernie loses, you know, it's an easy fucking grift to fall for. And then, like, as these this shitty podcast continues, sure. these discussions are going nowhere. These these internal fights keep happening. I mean, my God, you're getting into beef with Sam Cedar over this. What is going on here? And then to top it off, like your co-host who's still on your fucking like page is basically accused <laughs> of grooming and then runs, runs for the fucking hills. No one knows where Virgil, Texas is to this day. I mean, she probably does, to be fair. Um, she just won't expose, won't expose them like that. But yeah, I mean, I th I think she like I, I mean I think Jimmy Dore like was always kind of transparent. This is kind of like eh, yeah. Like, I mean, I mean the, out of the whole Young Turks like squad, basically, right? Like Hasanabi is maybe like the only ideologically consistent one, and he's a Twitch streamer. You know, I don't think <laughs> he has to be as you know like um. Oh, I mean, it's kind of weird, right? That, like, the person who's, like, the least held to, like, some, like, organizational standard is, like, the most ideologically consistent. Of right, right. Like, like, you know, say what you will about Hassan. He didn't, he's never gone down that weird rightward shift. I think, like, maybe like, you can probably. But I, I definitely think. You can probably criticize him dubious. for being serious. Yeah, I mean, there's some stuff that he said that, like, I'm not, like, I, I don't, like, fully agree with him on, right? But it's, like, I definitely a step up from, like, I mean, the weird, like you know, transcript that they've been going on lately. Um, obviously, like, you know, Jimmy Dore and um, uh, Dave Rubin are, like, sort of, like, you know, the biggest failures of their project. Um, as, like, and then, in terms and then of, like, the whole Justice Democrats thing, like, that came and went as soon as it started. Yeah, and, like, I think their their commitment to it was probably the more, big, the bigger letdown there, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, and so with Brianna Joy Gray, I think like she was someone who benefited from you know, just a lot of grievance, right? I mean, she was in communication director for the Bernie Sanders campaign, you know, so it's so already kind of you know someone who is connected to a lot of the goodwill from you know a lot of uh, leftists online and in like you know you know more like you know people who still kind of buy into electoral politics. But then like she just I I don't know. I mean, it's like. The more I see of her, like the more frustrated I get, especially with like, as I said, like taking this victory lap over, like I've proved Matt Gates has proven that force the vote works. It's like, like it wasn't even the same circumstances. That wasn't even what you were asking for. A vote was with. forced, yes. Um, <laughs> but that's like it, it's not remotely like what I I, I think anyone wanted. And 
yeah, I think the the bottom line on Brianna Joy Gray, Jimmy Dore, and like a lot of again the oh, grifter sh- class, the grifter class is like, you know, who is who is grappling with like the the depth of what they don't know? Who do you see that's grappling with like the inconsistency they see? Who is grappling with the uh, the, the the just cognitive dissonance of contradiction. If the people you're listening to aren't grappling with that shit, I I would say just just really question why they're so confident about their position. I, I think, think I, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's like a good encapsulation of it. But uh, yeah, I could continue. Oh uh, yeah, I, I mean that's just you know we've. We've kind of commented on this time and time again. I don't think we're going to stop, but it's like, you know, the reason why I harp on things like bourgeois structures, on party politics, on like institutional power, it's not because I have a fetish for it. It's because I think a system's your based porn, on- Your porn search history testifies <laughs> the contrary, but... <laughs> It's, but it's like, you know, it's because, like, there's no prescriptive answers to systemic ills. I think systemic ills deserve holistic study. I think they need to be analyzed in a historical context. And then more broadly, you know, you have to try to situate current events not as, you know, totalizing indicators of an absolute truth but more so as um, either the natural outcroppings or new trends in in historical events, right? Because none of this shit happens in a vacuum. Yeah. So it's like, you know, could forcing the vote have done a thing? I mean, you know, it's it's, it's just, it was a way for people who were upset, understandably, because I was one of these people, who were upset about how the 2020 election played out who were upset about the left-wing contingent of the progressive wing of the democratic party whatever you want to call this coalition right being ignored once again and now you know you feel unheard you feel like nothing's working and a lot of people frankly are you know in in dire and desperate conditions so i understand the anger but the thing is, if you can't sit your, situate yourself in a context where, yeah, the the left has been suborned by by you know these these centrist elements, or that you know what militancy is very hard to to achieve, especially in you know states where like things like right to work have been implemented, right? Mm-hmm. Or let's face it. If you're blind to the history of things like the SDS, of the radical movements in the 70s, and more broadly of the neoliberal turn in the 80s, you know, now you're just, you're, you're no better than an old man yelling at the sky. Now you're just like going off of whatever person on the internet told you to, to do something. Yeah. Well, it's and, I, and, I, and I think what I find particularly problematic about uh, a lot of those folks too is like you know like you were like saying with like you know different um you know state level or localized things right like going after like right to work or something like that i see like you know virtual silence from them on those issues right they they didn't turn their activism or you know whatever you know supposed activism active activism they were advocating for into anything tangible they just keep relitigating the fact that they felt like you know anyone who disagreed with them is like you know, not a true, uh, you know, progressive or whatever. And they've, you know, killed our movement and there's nothing like worth salvaging here, basically. And just keep relitigating that for, you know, going on three to four years at this point. Right. And it's like, you know, you feel heartbroken about this thing that happened in the present, but it's like, there is a whole history of heartbreak you got to understand. And if you're not, ready to to learn about that and more specifically learn from that yeah what do you intend to do in the future you know i think it's very easy and i again it's like i sympathize with people i'm i'm as frustrated about current conditions as anyone can be Mm -hmm. 
But these are not necessarily new problems. These are, in fact, like old problems we experience in the present. Does that framing help you or hurt you? You decide. But I'll tell you one thing. Uh, just, just, just listening to to podcasts, watching these streams, whatever, whatever it is you're doing, you know. I'd be careful. We've got a prophet and son to keep him listening. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but like we we grapple with like how little we fucking yeah. know. Like every fucking episode, we walk in some days like, damn, how are we gonna handle this? But it's like, you know, we're we're at least trying to be upfront about the fact that like we're aware that we're ranting and we're giving voice to our frustrations, but. I have no interest in like you know running people into 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 the wood chipper for like my pet project so I can gain some cloud off of it. I mean my god, like Brianna Joy Gray is over here talking about a general strike when we when so many workers don't have the right to unionize based on where they live. Yeah. How are you going to build capacity for such a thing? Yeah, I want a general strike. Who doesn't? I mean, I, I do think it, it, the general strike argument, too, is always kind of, like, mitigated by the fact that, like, it, no one seems to have a clear, concise demand to go with it. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, that's, like, the whole, it's, like, they, they like, they see, like, strike, like, they, it's, like, the language of, like, strikes and solidarity, it's, like, it resonates with them, or maybe, like, they like the, to cosplay with it, but they're not, like, you know, like, like, I mean, you know, we see like these workers on strike, and I get that the media doesn't necessarily cover it in a way that's particularly, you know, helpful in a way to like really understand why or like what what their demands are. But like, you know, we talked with you know a member of the UAW, right? And he he mentioned all of these demands that they have, these clear, concise demands. Um, will they reasonably, realistically get all of them? You know, yeah, admittedly, probably not. But like, when you have those demands, you can at least gain clear concessions from who you're striking against and i mean that's the other thing is like where where are uh bgj and uh jimmy Dore on the uaw strike well i mean B, to, i guess you know to be fair i mean bgj uh is a uh, sympathetic to accelerationist views so maybe she's just in favor again, of again what does that mean i'm uh, again like let's okay, so I'm, what it I is have... is uh, having heard her talk about it it basically is like i acknowledge that i'm privileged it would not be affected by this but i've i've gotten the equivalent of like an n-word pass from poor people <laughs> to be in favor of this so, okay, Patreon doesn't show you how much people make oh, anymore. Oh, speaking of, she also says something insane where, like, this shows, in my opinion, how out of touch she is. Because she talked about how her, like, she has all the support on Patreon. And um, she says that some people are giving me most of their salary to stay subscribed. I'm sorry, only... So, $5 and $10 tier. Before Patreon used to show you how much money someone made... It still does for some people. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you if you're willing to show you that, have to you enable it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for being transparent. But my God. But even then, right? If if it's like okay, that five dollar tier, right? Let's say like her poorest listeners are subscribed to that for twelve dollars for five dollars for a month for a year, sixty bucks, and she acts like that's most of their salary. Okay, so let's 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 just be be clear. Um, as of. 2023 the 23rd of august oh so this is this is a site called graftreon i have no idea how accurate this is but basically she set the patreon stats to private on august 29th 2021 so looking at our most recent available statement mind you um they were at 7,000 patrons uh earning about four dollars per patron earning about thirty thousand a month about jesus <laughs> you know yeah i'd be i'd be saying dumb shit out the side of my mouth if i was making thirty thousand a month hell yeah. yeah but like but that's the thing is like you know on the one hand greenhouse gaslighting is a free podcast that enables us to say what we need to say furthermore if we did make money, I'm pretty sure we'd be able to stay more consistent. But that's that's besides the point. What I will say though is 
it takes reckoning. It takes an admission of hard truths and often hurtful realities to build maturity and to, more frankly, have an astute political analysis. I think if you are, I mean, the, the term leftist is so muddied now, right? But, you know, for, for me in the Marxist tradition I, that, I, that I harp on, right, is that it takes a sober-eyed view of the world and the systems within it and the relations of systems within it to understand how power works, who's oppressed, how do you counteract that, you know, all, all that shit, you know? And then it also takes a willingness to admit when you're wrong. It takes a willingness to admit what your blind spots might be, how those blind spots may be imposed uh, systematically, right? That is a true measure of both political and personal maturity, in my opinion. Yeah. For all the people we've spoken about today, I don't think anyone exhibited that quality. <laughs> I doubt I exhibit that quality 100% of the time either, you know? But, I, and, but like, it's an ideal that you're at least striving towards, right? I, I know, hope I, a, I, hope I, I, I do I. as well, right? You know, it's like you, you, you want to, like, you know, do that. And that's, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I, I generally own a lot of the you know takes that i've made i mean there's there's maybe some things i've i don't know i mean we've been doing the show for a while there's maybe some stuff that i've changed my mind on over times but like you know it hasn't just come up again to be like relevant but at the same time i'm also not like relitigating you know failures uh and like pretending them like they're you know and, and and again i think a lot of it is sort of what I think, like her, Jimmy Dore, and like all the rest of the force of what people represent, is sort of this like kind of faux activism where like you're putting your weight behind something that you probably know will never happen or would end in failure, anyways, under the impression that it won't happen and that you will never be accountable for it. While bearing in mind the only thing you did was pay somebody to produce content. Yeah, and, or as and we I call it a grift. Yeah, because like, <laughs> like it's like I think like you know anything that we've like you know I, I think actively advocated for in a more practical sense, right? Like you know maybe like helping you know UAW workers or like other things like that in recent memory. That I mean I I, I would stand by that, right? I'm not gonna like it's not like it would end in anything where it's like oh yes like actually you know I mean I, I guess you know, maybe the individual UAW worker you could have helped out maybe they're not such a chill person or something like that but i didn't say you know help out that specific person but like when you're like saying like oh hey like and you know like we said that you know a general strike could be useful right but we're not saying like oh yeah we should totally do a general strike um because what with that is like one it's something that's not super realistic and two because it's not realistic and will never happen it's it's something that like you can just say and it means nothing it's it's not like you know they, they try to warp this into like some like weird purity test thing like if you support this you're like you know truly you know on the left but like it, it, if you base your like litmus test on impractical and maybe even impossible things what's the point right like what's like anyone can just you know talk the talk in that case i think i think we've really come full circle with like what we intended for the show to be about, right? Which is like the ephemeral and pervasive hypocrisy and dishonesty, as well as confusion in American political discourse and specifically yeah. political rhetoric, right? And I think that this this is an old standard of mine I kind of fall back on a lot, which is like, I think a lot of people tend to identify with their stated ideology or their stated beliefs mm -hmm. as like a aspect of their identity or their being, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm a leftist, I'm a Marxist, I'm an anarchist, you know, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't change the fact that all of which are completely muddled and what they, what Oh, they by mean. the way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, uh, very few people can define what they mean by that. And even if they say the same thing, it's still open to interpretation. So I guess I'm, 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 I'm one of the cool Marxists who, you know, <laughs> believes the right things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there you go, right? But then 
it's it's also like if you're not willing to admit, yeah, okay, I have these views, but what am I fundamentally but like an American consumer? What what are the practical extensions of those views? Exactly, right? And I you know, of course, it's not easy to put all 100% of your beliefs in, into practice. I think a lot of people, the majority of people probably struggle with that, right? But it, you got you got to just kind of be self-conscious of of it and just, you know, admit like, okay, I have lofty ideals and I believe in these things strongly, but I'm also complicit and participating in a system I disagree with. How do I square that circle? And, and yeah, like, you know, is that, you know, out of like, you know, kind of utilitarian grounds? Is it just sort of, and, and, you know, if you, you know, kind of write the system off, you know, what is, you know, what does that say? Like, are you doing things that are like still contributing to like a better world and like, you know, something that complies with your worldview or are you doing something or, or are you just like kind of embracing nihilism? Like, I think those are also, like, things that you kind of have to reckon with as well. Exactly. And, like, and that's that's something that is probably worth examining, too, in, like, allegedly radical people who get into mainstream political spaces. And mm-hmm. then it's very, you know, telling someone they sold out is, like, a shorthand, right? But there's probably a complicated, like, reverse come-to-Jesus moment they have where it's like, oh, my God, if I stay, if I stick to my guns... I'm going to be passed up for promotion. I'm not going to be taken seriously. And you and you fall in with the establishment or you fall yeah. in with, like, the powers that be. Yeah. So, yeah. Or, like, you know, I mean, and to some extent, like, on, like, the establishment thing, right? I mean, I think that um, I've seen a lot of people just say, sort of say, like, you know, just opposing the establishment is, like, the 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 goal which okay but like on what grounds <laughs> yeah and it's like well some, like you know there's some things that like i mean even you know probably even some of the most radical among us probably agree with the establishment with you know some elements of the establishment probably a, yeah. a few probably. things right like there's probably some some common ground there and you know not to like be too hokey about like you know reaching across the aisle or whatever but like there's that element of it right where it's like i think like defining yourself purely like in opposition to something else, I think is not super constructive either. Exactly. I think there is this, um, if I can maybe summarize this as best I can, it's that politics in America today, especially with how limited our forms of participation in it can become, it becomes more so an exercise in building and proving identity less than it becomes a matter of practice. And I think that applies to many areas of American life, not just in politics, but that is a discussion for another time. (laughs) And I think we really, we really ran the fucking gamut on this one. I'm I'm looking at this. We're like a little over two hours. I might split this into part one and part two. Uh, Sure. Yeah. I thought it was a good one. Yeah, I think this was a good one too. So, with all that being said, um, any other thoughts or any closing thoughts you want to share, Josh? Because I know we did cover a lot of ground. So yeah, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't have like a great way to like sort of like capstone this. To be honest, um, just you know, kind of like I, I think, um, you know, I, I guess we we talked about both some like establishment elements and some radical elements today, right? And I think you know, it's sort of. You know, it, it's worth kind of seeing that, like, ironically, I think a lot of the more radical elements, right, have sort of aided and abetted some elements of, you know, the the forces that they claim to oppose, right? Like, you know, Matt Gates, the idea that he, you know, sort of def- represents some some real radical motion, right? All he's really radical about is sort of like, you know, just, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, uh, in terms of his party, right? Like, I mean, obviously, I'm not. I'm. I'm gonna com- gonna commend, like, well, commend him as much as I can, right? And obviously, he did something that I, you know, I, th- I think is good in the terms of like, you know, destroying the credibility of his party. But like, in terms of like, if you're like actually like someone who's, you know, on that on the side of the, it's the not party, smart. It's smart politics. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's horrible politics, right? Like, it doesn't it doesn't really achieve like anything approaching. Um, things that he claims to support other than like you know again like it's like causing chaos for the sake of chaos isn't um 
something that is to be valued, right? And, you know, I think Feinstein, you know, to kind of recap at the beginning, right, caused, you know, despite being that more like, you know, stabilizing establishment force, I think caused chaos just through the way she chose to remain in office past her prime, right? I think she actively hurt a lot of democratic and leftist objectives, um, you know, just through um, sheer, like, inability right like i mean i i think those she wasn't always like the the firmest or fastest ally on anything and she certainly mm-hmm. made her share of mistakes but i think you know the the one that everyone's going to remember is like the mistakes that sort of you know were just caused by just her being old and incapable of doing her job yeah it's almost like with with diane feinstein it's like you want to directly blame her or you want to like assess like you want to chalk this up solely to her character I don't know if that's necessarily my place, but what I will say is like her career seems to be driven far more so by fate and circumstance than I would initially have been led to believe. And that seems to be both in her rise. And I mean, her hey, own. it was ended by fate and circumstance. That's too. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, she gets in on this, like on this wave by like the assassination of George Moscone and Harvey Milk. And then her career plummets with like her declining cognition. And then like, mm-hmm. Factors that are allegedly, you know, well, the prior, some people allege was probably in her control. The latter was definitely not in her control, right? But, you know, there's there are events driven by choice and there are those driven without choice. The real test of character is how you react to those. That's my final word on this. And thus concludes our first self-help episode on the Greenhouse Gaslighting. <laughs> I would reckon they're all self-help episodes. Yeah, I think that's a fair, fair uh, summary. <laughs> Thanks again, dear listener, for tuning into this episode of Greenhouse Gaslighting. Uh, I will share our social media links in the description below. Although, to be honest, just find everything on Linktree. It's in one place. Why would you spend time posting 14 links when they're all in one place for free? Why did I say that? Do we have a... No, we, I was like, why did I say that like an ad? I don't know. I don't know why I said that like an ad. Like, are we already sponsored by Linktree now? <laughs> Fuck it, Linktree, this was, a, this was an audition. If, you, if you're going to throw us some money, you might as well. <laughs> I don't want to say, I mean, you, you, it, is, it is a practical uh, solution to the fact that, you know, everyone has to be on a million places at all times. Yeah, basically, I will say that, like, as the social media space tends to get more volatile with, like, what's stable and what isn't, just just check the link tree. If, if Twitter's finally gone for good, it'll be off the link tree. If it's still up, it'll be up on link tree. Uh, so with that, I think I'm ready to conclude this episode. Take care, everyone.